0: Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the AltMed podcast with me as always, Mitch Kurtz in the house, trusty co-host. And of course, um, we are in the presence of cannabis royalty here or hemp royalty. No. I, I don't know what he would prefer us to describe it as, but we've got Andrew Cavasilis from the hemp embassy, from Vita Hemp, from um, gosh, how many projects have you been involved with? I'll uh, I'll let you tell us more about all of that, Andrew, but welcome to the program.
1: Thanks, Andrew. Great to meet you all and Mitch. Um, yeah, um, yeah, good on you for doing these kinds of things and and getting you know people more educated, getting on a different level.
0: Thank you uh, for for letting us talk to you. We know you've been busy the last week. You were on Late Line. Um, they're doing a, a bit of a, a piece about hemp farming and you know, a few illegal hemp farms, none of yours, of course. But, um, yeah, maybe as is kind of customary, we, we'd love to just dive in first to your background, how you got into um, the space that you're in. And you've, I know you've been involved in it for a while. So, yeah, can you tell us your story?
1: Um, yeah, I don't know. Look, I was um, had a bit of a career up in Darwin. Um, I was a, um, started, started with the Darwin City Council as a labourer. And then I uh, ended up as an inspector after a couple of years. I didn't realise that the laziness was compulsory. And so I lasted less <laughs> than two years. as a And um, it was interesting. I, I joined the inspectors up there. And 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 as soon as you get a, a job with the inspectors, they give you all these law books to read. And what happened, I fell in love with the law. Like I really liked what how it operated. I, I, I kind of understood it all. And... Um, and look, within four years, I became the chief legal officer for, for the Darwin City Council. And I was a as a, a city prosecutor. I went to the police college up there and done some prosecutions training. Um, and and I did. I really enjoyed that. And then, you know, it came the, the crunch time where I really needed to get a degree if I wanted to stay in that. And I didn't want to. So uh, I left um, and became a woodworker and then moved to Nimbin, sort of dropped out a bit. I thought I was going to be a forest protester. I got here and went to the hemp embassy, met Michael Balderstone, and, um, you know, we kind of went from there. And, and, and um, yeah, since then, I, I kind of delved, before I got into it, I delved into the cannabis history and the, the, the real history of cannabis prohibition and took me right back to the UN drug treaties and even prior to that, the League of Nations, but really got a, a good handle and, and really read the drug treaties and what every government in the world signed up to and then um i suppose during that time you know this was in the in the 90s um we started um you know probing the the laws here in new south wales anyway um the the misuse of drugs and trafficking act and noticed that it's a it's a 1985 act and it clearly it uh has laws which relate to growing cannabis for medical and scientific research so i pursued that and um yeah, it wasn't too long before I was growing under permits. And 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 yes, I do use the word cannabis because I have grown high THC and low THC under permits. Um, you know, so it's all a bit mystifying to me when we look at, you know, in 2016, the government made some, um, um, some amendments to the Narcotic Act to allow medical cannabis to be used here in Australia, when in fact we always were allowed to. Uh, every government is allowed to use opium, coca and, and cannabis for medical and scientific research. Anyway, they made a hoo-ha about it. And, and you know, as a lot of people have seen with the McNally um, review that, you know, we really have got a set of laws that just are not fit for purpose. Um, anyway, that took it right up to the the now. But now over the years, here, I've just kept, we kept growing and growing um, um, before the Hemp Act here in New South Wales, we w- we would always just go under the under the Section 23 of the Misuse of Drugs and Trafficking Act. We we used to do our own sampling. We used to take it to the university. Um, there wasn't any much oversight, but no, we weren't doing anything wrong either. We really were, you know, trying to trying to break some ground. And um, here at the Southern Cross University, we um, we employed the the, the Australian Centre for Phytochemistry to 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 do our. They had one of the first Gas chromatography machine, so we we were able to, you know, get tested the stuff we were growing, and and you know we we there was other things that were going on as well, and we we're always pretty quiet about it. I I, um, I didn't really come out until you know in two thousand and eight two thousand and nine when we got the New South Wales hemp back together. Um, but also I should just say that yeah, when we did grow the high THC under permit, um. Um, the scoop is, yeah, the New South Wales government didn't have the authority to issue that permit. That kind of permit can only be issued by a federal government. And back then, we didn't have an office of drug control. Um, the office of drug control used to be the Tasmanian Opium Poppy Board, and it morphed into the ODC. Um, so, a federal yeah, only a federal government could actually issue a permit for somebody to grow high THC cannabis in a particular country. And it had to be all lawful, from a lawful source, um, everything like that. And that's always been the problem. And if anyone has a look, you know, you've probably seen um, there, there is problems and issues with like in, in... Have you ever heard of NIDA, the National Institute of Drug Abuse? Yeah. In the US? Yeah. yeah. So that's the only lawful source of cannabis in the world, internationally recognised <laughs> lawful source of cannabis for medical and scientific research so for instance when the swinburne university were got some money off vic health vic roads to do to do some stuff on on saliva testing back in 2005 or six that's where they got their cannabis from joints from from NIDA. um so yeah getting back to you know growing high thc under permit no one really had done that since since uh, since 2001 2002 and nobody done that really in Australia until Daniel Andrews authorised and sanctioned that grow down in Victoria, which, you know, was a grow, but most of it was in quarantine. It was never, ever going to be used for medical purposes. That's So, you know, there's lots of stories. My raves are too long. You've got to pull me up sometimes, guys. No, that's what so we anyway, want. Anyway, that's really what we like.
2: like. Yeah, people I, want I, to hear the raves. They, anyway. they, they hear from us every week. Uh, it's more interesting to hear about people like yourself who've been doing the work over oof, decades.
1: Yeah, so you know that that's that's um, you know, and the stories get you know longer and deep. I mentioned Nida because yeah, I did get a visit from Nida a couple of years after we we released some research from that 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 um, high THC group, and they made it really well known that that's not on what happened. It would never happen again. We also got a visit from GlaxoSmithKline, um, who have the they're one of the two companies that grow half the world's opium here in Australia. Yeah, you know, GlaxoSmithKline and Johnson. And you've got this TAS Alkaloid, but really that's um, that's that's just an offshoot of J&J. So, you know, Australia is one of the few countries in the world that makes money on the drug treaty because that same drug treaty gives us the power, the authority to let two foreign companies, in effect, grow half the world's opium here in Australia. Um, so, you know, politicians have had to really move with the time, I suppose, move. Make movements. Politicians have tried to do medical cannabis here in New South Wales before. You, I don't know if you remember Bob Carr having a big go at it. Um, well, Bob
0: Carr. Uh, yeah. anyone
1: cares to have a yeah. So would- you know he they really they really tried. There was like four members of the of the cabinet who were using either them or their family were using cannabis for medical purposes and mm-hmm. all illicit or couldn't and and yeah Bob Carr and that cabinet at the time really thought that they were going to be able to do medical cannabis, but they really had to pull their head in and they couldn't do it. They um, got an expert working party together, which was chaired by Professor Wayne Hall. And if you look at his name, he'll always muddy the water, have a look at any inquiries or anything we do. Wayne Hall will all, he used to be chair of the of the, NDAC, the National Drug and Alcohol Research Centre, and they used to do some really good work um, until they didn't. And um, But, you know, it was like, you know, Professor Hall was given a, a good thank you for, for towing the line. He became a member of the board, the INCB. All of us, any if you're in if you have you heard of the INCB? That yeah. that's the International Narcotic Control Board. So mm-hmm. Wayne Hall up being on that board, and it was like a you know, a thank you for for, for, for killing off the New South Wales. Well, because
0: um, I, I, I appreciate that this is a, a world that you would have spent, you know, some time and you've seen the evolving regulations, but for our, you know, our listeners who might be unfamiliar with this, you referenced the treaty. So you're talking about the 1967 narcotics treaty that Nixon brought in that was signed by how many countries Australia is a signatory to it. But maybe if you can talk to us about that, how it works in terms of countries need to declare certain amounts of, you know, volume of, of, Scheduled yeah. substances. So, okay. talk us through it.
1: Yeah. So, how that works is like the ODC should be that 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 the ODC or used to be the Tassie Opium Board. That is the body that. Um, so, you've got the INCB. It's a board, and it's set up to not be politically influenced. So, a government can't go to the INCB and say take cannabis off this or do that. It doesn't work like that. Yeah. Um, they're, they're there to administer it and make sure the government. Um, the payoff is, so every government It started back in 37, but anyway, it got through to, and there's been several iterations of it, but they, the payoff is that no, here's the thing, no government owns any medicine, right? No government owns any medicine. So if you understand, and they definitely, no country, no government owns opium, coca, or, 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 or cannabis. So if you understand that, you've got to know that companies own it. So Hmm. all the governments signed up the payoff is that the companies will evenly distribute all the drugs that governments and countries need for their health system and right. it's a sliding scale pay this much for insulin other countries don't pay as much and it's it's like that but also in terms of the, the treaty has failed in terms of the even distribution of, of pain drugs especially the middle east you know, everything's wrong about what we're even doing. You know, trying to rationalise this prohibition doesn't work because the opium comes from the Middle East. Cannabis comes from India and, and, and you know, the Far East, whatever. But, you know, um, the, the INCB also has, or the, the, the drug treaties, have the 80-20 rule, so that, and it, it acknowledges that opium comes from the Middle East, and the 80-20 rule specifically says that 80% of the world's legal opium, will be grown in India and Turkey. Mm -hmm. So we already have this juxtaposition. The ODC, under the treaty, is supposed to be taking physical possession of all the opium grown in Australia, and it's supposed to distribute, but that doesn't happen at all. So you can't rationalise what's going on, nor can we, if you understand what's going on, you you can't really ignore... And so so under this, this...
0: So this treaty, basically, so we have a situation where Tasmania, for example, under this very treaty... Produces something like half the world's opium supplies. It might even be more um, legal opium supply. Um, so that's allocated by the INCB. Is that, is that what it's called? The IC- yeah, well, yeah,
1: yeah. The INCB. But they're always making. Um, they're always taking the view that we have far too much opium straw and opium paste in in in, in reserve. They they're kind of not happy about the amount that's there, but. You know, they kind of have to have it there because you have a look at, you know, the kind of addiction and opioid epidemic going on in the U.S. and 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 mm-hmm. anywhere else they can get it into. You've got Southeast Asia screaming at the moment; they don't want, you know, these companies to start introducing the kind of prescription medications that have been killing people overseas. And it's a another side story, but the, um, the, the you know, we 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 break the we break the treaty in so many ways. Um, and and it's not so much that. The government has much say in it either you know we can talk about the politicians but above the politicians you've got a, a whole group of public servants that get paid more than the minister and these yeah. guys they, they they're there where the labor or liberal get in these guys are there um you know is that, where, hunts like-
2: is that where um is that where medicinal cannabis comes in to alleviate some of the stress on the the opiate addiction
1: uh, you know, they talk about it. I know there's a pretty heavy movement in, in Canada that it, says it can help, you know, if somebody really wants to give up um, using hard drugs, you know, yeah, you'd think that, that, you know, that would be the case. The argument kind of falls over because you have a look at, you, look at, you know, places in the US where cannabis is legal and yet they still got a rampant opium addiction problem. Um, and we don't really know what to look. Same in Canada as well. You'd think with that with a place you know with cannabis available everywhere you wouldn't have so much addiction but you know who knows what what you know what underlies the cause of addiction with with different people it could be trauma it could be a lot of things and pot just doesn't cut it i mean i i don't see cannabis as a panacea for everything either in fact you know sometimes i, th- I don't think cannabis cures anything but it does enough it, it has a far good enough profile and beneficial outcomes that it doesn't really have to cure cancer or or, or you know help you know cure you know particular addictions to, to to whatever other drugs um you know it'd be better if if the government's just redrew the line on drugs and put it just on the other side of cannabis and 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 get us all on side and you know really really be able, be able to tackle hard drug problems in Australia and, and in so other is, places is it, um, I suppose
0: one of the things that I'm interested in from What you're saying is that basically because we are beholden to this um, treaty that, you know, that is basically the barrier that stands between us having a legalised or a federally legalised cannabis marketplace in Australia, I'm just interested, is it basically the case that there is a whole domino effect that people wouldn't be aware of that if we were to basically turn our back on that treaty, that we would be killing the opium industry down in Tasmania. There would be a whole lot of companies that benefit from our participation in that treaty that effectively would be implicated by um, a decision to, to not be bound by it.
1: Yeah. It was one of the first things the Office of Drug Control said to a group of us, a group of stakeholders, and, and at the first meeting we have had, that we, if any, if this jeopardises our 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 opium industry, we'll, we'll we'll ditch medical cannabis. So we looked into it, and we, the Tasmanian. Well, there's a few things to unpack there. and We should go back and unpack and talk about how states in the U.S. and Canada got around the drug treaty. But um, Tasmania. So we, we still all assume that Tasmania is growing all the opium down there. But it's the the, the 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 TV show we're talking about last Saturday was landline, not late line. And so right, if landline. Want to check out the-
0: Yeah, I think Lightline yeah. hasn't been I mean, running for a few years now. But yeah. Um. But yeah,
1: while you're at it, check, check out a story called Sick Poppies, uh, another landline story. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it'll explain, it'll show you why we don't grow very much opium down in Tasmania now, because the, the, they've been growing it for so long. They had big, probably powdery mildew and they were using so many chemicals. And I mean, they're showing on this TV show, rotten poppies being harvested off the ground for medical purposes, and yet, you know, as soon as we talked about medical cannabis, they wanted, you know, they wanted GMP and things like that. And on that same show, Sick Poppies, it also it shows you that, all right, they're starting to grow opium now in, in New South Wales and Victoria and they, they go on and South Australia. There's actually a opium, probably more opium being grown outside of Tasmania at the moment because of that. But they they cut away to a, one of the farmers in in in, in Victoria, who says he just straight up says, "Oh, it seems the the pathogen was in the seed stock, so they've got it on the mainland as well now." This powdery mildew and some other, um, you know, things that they have to use pesticides and herbicides and antifungal thing. Um, but you know you just sort of read that, and you know, looking for the little snippets here and there, and you you know it sort of makes you a bit disgusted in it all. So, mm. with medical cannabis, yeah, and how countries got around, have you ever heard of um, a guy called um, we'll get back to medical cannabis now..
2: <laughs>
1: um, Dennis Peron Dennis back in, have you heard of him? Yes, yes,
0: absolutely.
1: Proposition two one five in in California. And it was a citizens-initiated referendum. So when, when America, or within the States United, when, the, when they made the United States, 37 of those states signed up to an extra article in relation to citizens-initiated referendums. So the citizens of a state could initiate a referendum. So it started with Proposition 215 in 1996. We brought, we brought Dennis over in 1998 to Nimbin for one of the Mardi grasses we had. And so that's when I got pretty inspired and listened to the story. And he told me how, you know, they kind of got away with it as well. But medical cannabis, again, in Canada, in California, and in, in all those states, if you remember, it didn't have anything to do with doctors. You went to a dispensary. They kind of had a, a naturopath or whatever on a, on a, on a Skype or, 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 you know, they had one in residence two or three hours a week. Um, you get, you know, something signed and you'd get a, uh, uh, an exemption from, from the health department in California and the patient gets their card, they go to a dispensary and they buy exclusively high THC pop. That's what it was for 20-odd mm. years. Medical cannabis was high THC pop. Yeah. Or if it was real medical older folk, it was cookies. it was people, the medical cannabis when it started here in Australia was just cookies. Um, yeah. And, you know, dosing was easy, you know, quarter of a cookie or half a cookie or <laughs> you know, a whole cookie. Um, nowadays it's it's a minefield i'm more of a whole kind
0: of guy myself i I don't do cookies in quarters i would have found that very difficult
1: Yeah, but you know for medical purposes for old folk that's where it became really um really useful for them and and, um so and yeah so there was kind of a cascade happened from from there in california and then and then what happened like i was talking earlier in 2002 in um in, uh, in, in Canada, they have a charter of rights. So there was the Allard Wilcox case in 2002, went to the High Court. The High Court found in favor of these two chaps that they should be able to use cannabis for medical purposes. And the High Court has the had the authority, still has the authority and they ordered the government to introduce a medical cannabis regime. In fact, they gave them one year, but they took two years. And in the meantime, the dispensaries took off in Canada. The dispensaries were always illegal but because they were in line with the ruling by the High Court, and it was all about access, low barrier access for patients. And so that's how they sprung up. And then the different provinces or the states made up their own regulations around, um, you know, dispensaries and 300 metres from a school and this and that. And, and it was quite, it, it went along quite well. But, yeah, also what happened, they, it was a really bad regime and they tried to kill it and introduce a second one. And that was just as bad. And then they tried to kill those two. Well, now they had two regimes running, and then they introduced the third one, which is the LPs, the licensed producers. Um, but still, it was a fact that less than 7% of the doctors in Canada ever helped a patient get an exemption from Health Canada to go and buy cannabis from a from a, a dispensary. Some of the doctors started hooking up with 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 larger grow operations and and um, and the LPs and so they would uh, specifically prescribe you know products made by the LP but always exclusively high THC CBD is very new on the on on the scene it was you know about 12 years ago that the people in marketing were extremely good with the CBD i mean i spent a lot of time explaining to people that there is no CBD cannabis there was there's high THC low THC and and, you know, industrial hemp or whatever you want to call it, that's what low THC or CBD cannabis is. But CBD has been great to get people into medical cannabis like never before. And so, you know, I take my hat off to, to the people in marketing for for promoting CBD the way that they have. And um, I think a lot of people, once they do start on that journey with medical cannabis, even through CBD, they eventually find that the THC products at various strengths and various Roots of administration is, is what traditionally is medical
2: cannabis. So, so take us forward a, a little bit to the the hemp embassy and, you know, some of the um, amazing work you do there in terms of, obviously, you've got Mardi Gras, we've got some of the research that you guys do, the education, uh, the shop, or all the different things that's happening down at the hemp embassy itself.
1: Oh, look, the hemp embassy has become a – it's been – always been around for a long time. Um, I'm just a volunteer there. A lot of what I do, it really is separate from there. I so I sort of have these two different lives, one, um, you know, working um, at a corporate level, the other the other side just helping the hemp embassy out in, in what we do. Look, um, it is, you know, the premier cannabis law reform, you know, organisation in Australia. We have a lot of volunteers. People come and go. Um, it's like a base for a lot of people. They t- come and touch base. Um Um, And yeah, a lot of education on medical cannabis, um, a lot of inquiries we deal with. um, And it's also a place where a lot of people complain, you know, they've got nowhere else to complain to, whether it's, you know, being sold dodgy product at a market or, um, you know, being ripped off online or, or, you know, paying high prices at, 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 you know, to get um, products from a doctor. We're we're kind of that, that place as well where, you know, you can talk people through it. Um, and, yeah, we get to learn a lot. People ring up and, and you know, from all over the country and contact us from all over the world. So it's kind of a, um, it's a bit of a mecca, you know. Uh, I think a lot of people just come to Nimbin really to come to and experience the hemp embassy. We we have a great range of books, um, great articles, great posters, T-shirts, um, um, and mad, you know, bong collections and stuff oh. like that, bongs from the um, and he and attached to that as a hemp bar. And um, I suppose that's as far as I can talk about. No, no I like it. We, we've,
0: embassy, but- I, I've always wanted to, to go up and visit. I, yeah. um, I want to ask you about uh, just some of the particular hemp growing activities that you've been involved with. You've been a hemp farmer for a, a long time now. Um, but to your um, yeah, recent um, interview with, with Landline, um, I just yeah. want to get your sense on how you see hemp farming in Australia going at the moment, because there was talk on that program that there are some industrial hemp farms who are, you know, I guess they're doing the wrong thing in the sense that they're they're taking CBD to market. Um, but what, what's what's your take on on that and the current state of the uh, the industry?
1: Well, my, my 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 the 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 point I try to make is that um, industrial hemp-derived cannabinoids, um, there is no history of them being used. We knew all about hemp, like the world knew all about hemp. Um, uh, have you heard of the book Sir Joseph Banks and the Question of Hemp?
0: I don't know it. Anyone?
1: No. Yeah. Okay. Here's a bit of a history lesson. Um, again, just a jog your memory. So before, you know, you agree we're having wars now for oil, the future supply of oil?
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, before oil came along, hemp used to, all all the hemp basically all came from Russia and the Ukraine. They were like the Middle East. So you had all these European countries, Portugal, Spain, uh, Belgium, the Dutch, the the, the French, the English. Um, They would make their way. And we know all this because it's in Sir Joseph Banks' books, his own handwriting, his own letters. He was on a Privy Council. He was, in fact, I've got several references. Sir Joseph Banks' initial job, initial job in Australia, what he was doing on that boat was to grow hemp in Australia. Australia was to be a hemp colony. It's all in his own, out of the, out of the Kew Gardens, his hemp reports. He was, his to and fro. He, in fact, had a block of hash with him. He was the first dealer in Australia. He sent oh. it to Coolidge. It's all... All, it's all written. Amazing. Truly, uh, the poet. And yeah. Anyway, so you imagine, in the meantime, uh, during during this time, you had Britain. They still had. It was before the War of Independence in the U.S. So you still had, you know, a lot of hemp. Although Washington and Jefferson were big growers, they had slaves, but a lot of that hemp was going back to to Britain. And then um, they had the War of Independence. Check out the dates. Britain needed a new supply of hemp. The French were doing deals with the Tsars and, and don't sell the, the hemp to, 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 to the British and whatever. And you still had big demand from for hemp from the from the trading countries like Portugal and Spain and, 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 and the Netherlands. So um, and Britain was having a hard time getting a supply of hemp. So um, Sir Joe, his initial job was on the order of Arthur Philip, was on the boat, had a whole bunch of sea. And he was to grow hemp. He tried for three years to grow hemp in Australia, couldn't do it, and so he got into botany. After that, um, he talks about they sent some of the seed to to, in, to India for them to grow, but they didn't grow it for for the fibre. They grew it for narcotic. They, he talked about it as a narcotic, but really, medical cannabis was um, blocks of hash from mm. India and and blocks of opium mm. from India, and that's what British and other countries would. Would, would, you know, you you go and get your hemp from, from, from Russia and the Ukraine, you you get your boats and you go to, you know, go and get your medicine from India. And then that would, would get travelled and, and exported all around the world. It would make it to the chemists and doctors and compounding chemists. They would cut it up, weigh it and make medicines from it. And same with coca as well. The Spanish were, were bringing coca out of, out of South America for a long, long time um these laws are really really new so um if you if you can get your head around that um so yeah so joseph Banks, we were going to be a hemp colony there's no like i said it's really new this whole um talk of cbd um another good example and more recently um the 2008 new south wales hemp act if you we went back and had a look and we, we read through the entire parliamentary debates not one mention of cbd um in fact, when the first application, when the second application went to Physands for, for industrial hemp, CBD wasn't, wasn't even on the agenda. There was one sentence from Western Australian police in a whole of government response, because um, don't forget, all the governments were against hemp seed food. They, I should correct that show. Governments in Australia didn't approve hemp seed food. They exhausted every avenue to block it, and they couldn't block it anymore And it had to get approved. Basically, they got sidestepped. But, yeah, they threw everything at it, including Western Australia police mentioning CBD has psychoactive effects and you should should check into it. So, you know, industrial hemp's never been an issue. Most of the world, don't forget, never stopped. The the UN Drug Treaty also has an article which says that this this treaty doesn't apply to industrial hemp grown for seed or fibre. Um, So it should never have been applied. It was only applied by the allied countries, India, Russia, the Iron Curtain countries, China, most of the world never stopped growing hemp. It was just us allied countries. And then there was a progression from France to, you know, Charles de Gaulle and and even the Italians started reclaiming their their ancestral hemp, hemp varieties and their genetics, which has sort of brought it back. But it's still a bit undercover because, you know, the allied countries, I don't know, we're, we're sort of, well, all the countries in the world are really um, like subjugated, I suppose, by by big pharma. In th- these countries, have a look at the top 200 entities in the world, just Google it, and you'll mm-hmm. see these, these, the whole bunch of pharmaceutical companies that have more money than most countries. That's yeah. how big they are.
0: Well, what just jumping back to the the hemp. It's so, so I, I, I'm, one of the things that I'm, I'm really interested in is whether or not uh, like we can just talk about your application for, with, and I hope I'm saying this right for Zans. Um, so for this yeah. novel food. So do you actually see that it, you know, that we're going to see in the next few years, this real growth in, in hemp food in, in Australia, or is that, is that something that is still where at the very early stages of,
1: Oh, look, hemp, hemp's always just going to be a niche market. It's not going to overtake anything. Um, you have a look at the countries that have got legal hemp, um, hemp seed food. It's not It's not a pervasive product. It's not everywhere, but definitely, you know, there's money to be made on it, and it's a good food. So it's, mm. it's one of those ones where it really is a good food. It's easy to sell because it really is that good. Um, there's, there's, there's problems with growing it here in Australia just because we changed the laws doesn't mean you know we've automatically got the the, the right genetics and um, and what we're also finding out is all these hemp genetics are owned by companies overseas these companies spend a lot of money to stabilize varieties making sure they're below 0.3 percent or bought you know at the very most they you know they they're, they're not going much over 0.5 percent just um, for instance say um, um, but the application yeah I think that it's going to introduce a whole new range of, of products. So um, on the mainland, you know, um, hemp seed foods were approved in and, and put into place in 2017, and then we had the drought. And so on the mainland, not only we didn't have the right genetics, we didn't, we had a drought. And, and whereas, you know, for 20 years we were doing hemp, you know, to its full potential where you you know you didn't need pest control you didn't need water or you'd need as much water things like that all of a sudden we've got climate change and a drought so we weren't able to grow on the mainland a lot of people wasted a lot of money a lot of farmers really had a big go at it so um we we we're the firm of the firm opinion that hemp leaf food um and sprouts and roots will be a lot more easier for people to to to, to commercialize and, and grow from yeah So, yeah, I do think, and I think it's also going to be and should be treated much like hemp seed food where, I mean, it was interesting that Paul Benheim was talking about people growing illegal and stuff like that. In fact, it was his company, Hemp Foods Australia, that was, you know, importing Chinese seed, still does, imports Chinese seed, puts it in Australian packaging and was selling it long before hemp seed food was legal. And if you have a look at Elixanol, they were importing or, you know, Getting Chinese hemp paste off of Alibaba for, for for years and selling it as as a CBD medicine for years. Um, so you know, for him to be, it, it was really a case of the the pot calling the kettle black.
2: <laughs> when when you when you think about Australia and where it's currently going with the trajectory on um, medicinal cannabis, how do you see the role of hemp in that landscape? currently and, and with everything since 2016, you know, kind of opening up from a medical perspective. Yeah. 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 And, and potentially um, know, S3.
1: No, I missed a bit of that. So potentially
2: what? Sorry, and potentially CBD being seen as an over-the-counter uh, medicine soon. You know, that's really uh, probably a feather in the cap for, for hemp.
1: Yeah, no, that, that will happen. But, you know, like I, I still firmly believe, you know, 10,000 years of medical cannabis history is, is really based on high THC um, varieties. And, and you know, it really is, it's not even a matter of THC and CBD. They, 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 they're one of 144 cannabinoids, and we know that none of them work alone. So um, it's, it's more from the research that I've done and, and you know, not... Into medicine, but in terms of the physical cannabinoid profiles, there's a high THC profile, which is really is a medical thing, and um, and there's a uh, a a low THC profile, and and that low THC profile that's that's him. So, you know, for some people. No matter what I might say or, or whatever, yes, CBD is going to be more than enough for them, and it should be available over the counter. There's, you know, there's no, there's no um, evidence that it's psychoactive or anything like that. It's it's just hemp. Whereas medical cannabis, the high THC product, product, I, I can't see that it's ever going to be um, pharmaceuticalised. Um, um, so it, it hasn't really been pharmaceuticalized. Overseas. In fact, the new word coming in is de what Canada did more recently when it. So, before Canada did recreational, we could still say confidently that no government in the world, including the US, um, those states, are just a little by the by now with Dennis Perron and from Proposition 215, it's very important for people to understand that the Californian government ran a no campaign. And every one of those state governments in the US have run the no campaign. So no state government, no federal government has willingly introduced a, a, a genuine, a meaningful medical cannabis regime. So, because medical cannabis in Canada and the US was an exemption from the health department for you to go and buy high THC pot. That's never gonna happen here. Here it's been, it's been presented here in Australia as though we're gonna, you know, the, the world has left the door open for Australian companies to pharmaceuticalize cannabis. That's simply not going to happen. Mm. Recreational is going to come and take over. And that's what's happened overseas. It, it you, you have to be looking at that. That's what's happened everywhere. And there was a big fight in California more recently where the diehard medical cannabis people were telling when the new referendum came up for a proposition for recreational, there was a big fight between the two communities, the recreational and the medical. But... Recreational one, they went to the they went to the elections and they won. Most of those medical cannabis growers, most all of them, have lost. You know over the years since recreational came in, have lost. They can't really do what they were doing before, and now you've got new regulations and and different permits and 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 so you know that's fallen a bit by the wayside. And the same's happened in 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 Canada where the the word de of cannabis is really taking place, where people now, especially older folk who finally are wanting to use cannabis for medical purposes well it's no use going to your doctor most of the doctors don't even handle that um and um
0: well, there's more people to one it? of the rec- yeah. yeah
1: that's right and yeah yeah and if you go to one of the recreational depots um you know they just want to sell your pot for 17 bucks a gram and they don't know which one is good for your cancer or they don't know which one's good for your for your anxiety and that they'll give you a bit of a rave but it's not the same, and it's, you know, generally smoked. Um, um, we're watching the resurgence now in Canada of, of the dispensaries, the non-for-profits, because that's where people can go and get good information about particular products that, that these people make. They're, they're a lot higher uh, higher in in, um, in higher doses as well because the regulations on edibles in Canada now are quite ridiculous, in fact. And so the high-dose um, oral, uh, oral dosing is is sort of making its way back into into the marketplace and more so the education yeah people don't can't get any education whereas here in australia it's just this this hybrid of all of a sudden doctors from not knowing anything and now prescribing industrial hemp potions and you know just some of the stories we hear out of out of from patients is, is is incredible
0: well, I'm 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 hopeful that if Australia does move to a recreational model somewhere down the line, that we still find ourselves with access to to really good quality products. But of course, to your point about the current situation in in Canada, it really is going to depend on you know the quality of advice and information that people have access to. Um, but oh my goodness, that's mm. it's been a um, an amazing chat because you've I feel like you've sown so many seeds. Mitch and I've got about 200 things that we can um, basically look into now, but you're a wealth of information. You've obviously been uh, there along the journey and and seeing the way that Australia has, you know, very much, um, you know, at a much lagged pace compared to the rest of the world really come to the party with, um, with, with starting to, uh, to see the benefits of, of allowing hemp and cannabis use. So, do want to say thank you so much for um for your time. I, I imagine when Mitch and I finally can travel out of lockdown, we'll um we'll have to swing by the hemp embassy and you know check it out with you.
1: Come to one of the farms. It's probably just as exciting, you know. Yeah, I mean, some oh, of the stuff. The university. Yeah, the university. I mean, yeah, that's what there's, You know, yeah, just um. you a quick rundown what's happening there um i've put on we we have two master's students and and recently myself i put on another a phd student and um they were doing some really great work here at the southern cross uni um we're looking at um uh, feminization one of the main things we're looking at feminization as well as you know other nutritional parts of the of of the plant. in fact we're looking at everything but the cannabinoids when you have a look at terpenes and 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 flavonoids and and Mm. um stools and phenols. the plant is amazing
0: yeah well we'd love to come up and see it and i i yeah i haven't actually been to a hemp farm before but um yeah after looking at some of those clips that were in the yeah the landline documentary it, it looks quite amazing what um only doing up there so we'll swing by um mitch did you have a final yeah. word at all
2: yeah, no, I, I'm thinking we can do a live stream straight from the uh, from the farm itself. From the hemp farm, We've yeah, got, I reckon we'll, that's uh, lock, lock that, that in. When yeah. we can travel, we'll
0: uh, we'll come up and do a, a live stream up there.
1: Uh oh, mate, I can go, I can go and sit in there, and I can live stream to you. You can just sit there. Now, look, all the best <laughs> to you. No, look, you guys in, we're in lockdown too, but Nimbin lockdown's a bit different from you guys lockdown, but um. Um, look, yeah. we're all in it together, and um, you know, just just hope that you know, just we all get on and, and do it. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm definitely on the vac side. Go and get your vaccinations, everyone, and let's get to the eighty
0: percent. Absolutely, no, and we, um, yeah, definitely getting through some of us with uh, the aid of some CBD oil, um, anecdotally. So, um, no, thanks so much for your time, Andrew. We'll um, we'll keep in touch, and uh, yeah, let's speak again soon.
2: All right, guys, thank you very much. Keep up the good work. Thanks, yeah, Andrew. It's too. great to have
1: you. Care. Cheers.